Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubic. Today we're going to continue in our cling series. I told you we're going to do this for five weeks, probably. Um, and we're talking about clinging to Jesus. At the end of the five weeks, and I, I don't know if I told you guys, I missed telling a couple, I think one or two services last week. At the end of the five weeks, or at the end of the four weeks, on the fifth week, I'm going to do a devotion. I'm not going to do a teaching. And I want you to start praying now. And asking God if you have a story you need to tell. Because for the only the second time since we've been here, and the first time didn't work out great, we're going to do an open mic that Sunday morning. Because there are times in our lives, each one of us, where we have had to cling to Jesus when we had nothing else, and Jesus showed up. And let me tell you, if people come to victory by hearing about your victory, they realize I dealt with something and God got me through it, he can get you through it too. Now, I need that message to be consolidated into three to five minutes. Last time I did that, when I said it didn't end, it didn't end well because like 20 minutes later, I'm, I'm literally trying to tackle this guy off the stage. And he was excited about the story that he had. And I need you to be excited about the story that you have. But condense the story that you have. Amen. I was, but God did this. Now I am this. And the details necessary to tell it like that. Okay? So I want you to start praying. We're going to get to as many as we can. If we don't get to you, don't be offended. Maybe next time. But if you have a story to tell, start praying about it. I'm going to start asking for those people to sign up in the different services starting next week. So I'll know. I'd just kind of like to talk to you, help you through how to communicate that, those kinds of things if you don't know how. But we need to hear each other's story. Amen? All right. So today, though, we're talking about clinging to Jesus. When we have nothing else, we need to cling to Jesus. And right now, we live in a world that seems like we got nothing else. So we're here to cling to Jesus. Last week, we talked about clinging to Jesus above our comfort. And that was a hard lesson. That was probably the most pointed lesson I've taught since I've been here. I told a guy this week, I said, man, you should have been there. It's the best sermon I've ever preached. He goes, you always say that. I said, every sermon is the best sermon I ever preached. No, I didn't say that. But I think it was probably the most pointed sermon I've ever preached because we have to, as a church, come to a place where we recognize that our comfort isn't significant. The message is more significant. Amen? The message specifically of Jesus Christ is most more significant. He told them, according to what we learned last week, Jesus told his disciples, you were hated, but don't worry about it. I was hated first. You will be persecuted, but I, will be, I have been persecuted first. No slave is above his master. Expect that you're going to be uncomfortable, but that's okay because that's the, that's the mantle you've taken on. I'm going to go as far as to say that's the, that's the blessed mantle that you've taken on, that you get to be Christ-like. At the end of the day, this life doesn't matter because this life 10,000 years from now is going to be but a vapor, but a memory anyway. 
So that's what we talked about last week. And after we got done with that, I asked people to stand up. And if you were really willing to commit to being uncomfortable, to telling people about Jesus, to be living for Jesus, would you please stand and stand with me? And we prayed over one another. And as far as I know, most everybody in all three services stood up. I'm going to say this as nicely as I know how. That commitment wasn't for last Sunday. That commitment was for this Sunday and next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that and every day in between those Sundays until the day that you die. The Bible tells us that we must swear to our hurt, which means even when it hurts us, if we give our word, we're supposed to do it. And when you stand up and boldly declare that I'm willing to be uncomfortable for the cause of Christ, that means you better be willing to be uncomfortable for the cause of Christ because the enemy is going to come against you. But that's okay because we don't stop fighting for fear that the enemy that doesn't have the authority that we have might be mad at us. Right? All right. Today, though, I want to talk about something different. I'm going to be a little more sensitive today. <laughs> I'm not. Today, I want to talk about clinging to Jesus over our tribes. Clinging to Jesus over our tribes. What do I mean by tribes? I mean the, sep- the associations that separate us. We need to cling to Jesus over those things that separate us. What you're about to get is as good a sermon as I could put together with my feeble mind and the help of the Holy Spirit about unity. The church is dying because the church can't get along. Society is dying because the church can't get along, and because the church can't get along, they can't tell people a unified message, and because they can't tell them a unified message, there's a contradiction of messages, and it creates confusion, and nobody trusts the church because the church can't even trust itself. We have to get to a place where we set down our tribes, our personal preferences, the things that divide us, and say, I'm standing on Jesus Christ and clinging to Him above all things according to His Word. Not according to my opinion, not according to how I feel, not according to what prospers me. Because let me tell you, the only thing that is ultimately going to prosper you is your willingness to cling to Jesus. So we're talking about that today. Our country was founded on many beautiful ideals. One of those ideals is on our money. It's our our national motto, and y'all are automatically going, and God we trust. That's not what I'm talking about, although we do. It's e pluribus unum. You know what e pluribus unum means? From many, one. From many, one. It didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter what nation you hailed from. It didn't matter your personal ideology when the ideals of this country were created. This was an incredible melting pot, and that's what made this nation so incredible, so wonderful, is that people came here expecting to be one person out of many. They were willing to truly be a melting pot, to set aside all other associations, all other tribes, and say, I am an American. I'm not a hyphenated American. I'm an American. Now, I'm not 
trying to dash anybody's culture or smash it. But let me tell you, if you live in America, you're an American. You are many, you are one, made from many parts. This is literally the definition of unity. We had one common goal. And because we had one common goal, we had one common thought process. And that goal was freedom. Now, this isn't a political position. This isn't a political sermon. I only tell you this for one reason. That motto made America great. And this is the same motto that should be used of the church. Out of many, one. Out of many, one. I'm going to say it again. Out of many, one. I don't care what background you came from. I don't care who you were involved with. I was a sinner going straight to hell like the next guy before I found Jesus. But when I became unified with Jesus, I became unified with Jesus' people. I became unified with Jesus' church. I didn't decide to get involved with a denomination. I decided to have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't decide to have a relationship with anyone except for Jesus, and I just watched to see where that relationship would bring me. But sadly, the enemy is good at what he does. And one of the things that he does is he divides us. We live in a divided culture. Did you know Sundays are known as the most segregated day of the week? Look around this room. Ain't a lot of diversity in here. And that's not your fault. I, I praise, I thank you for being in here. There's some other churches you go to, you won't see any diversity there either. But there won't be any white people in there. It shouldn't be this way. But it is. And we all, well, that's just the culture. Well, we got the wrong culture. We have to have a kingdom culture. If you require a white church or a black church, you're going to be mad in heaven the whole time. Angela and I have had people ask us, what are you going to do to make black people more comfortable in your church? And our answer was, we're going to declare Jesus. And if you're not comfortable with Jesus, then you don't need to be in this church. I don't care what color you are. Because this is a kingdom-minded organization. The church exists to be kingdom-minded. So it doesn't matter if you're, but the enemy does, and he always has. He's convinced us that black and white, Asian, Hispanic matter. Nationalities matter. That we can't worship together. He's convinced us that denominations matter. That we can't worship together. This just isn't true. I was in a meeting a couple of nights ago, and it was me, a United Methodist pastor, and two Church of Christ guys. Why don't you get your head around that? Because some of y'all, you did what? You mean with the enemy camp. It's not the enemy camp. You know why we were there? We were discussing why the church can't be unified. That pastor in the United Methodist Church loves Jesus as much as I do. Maybe more. I don't know. 
Those two Church of Christ guys, one of them hosted the meeting because he believed that the Church of Christ, the United Methodist Church, the non-denominational church, the Baptist Church, the Lutheran Church should all come out of their churches, join together for one common purpose, which is to set aside our tribe, cling to Jesus, and declare Him as the only Savior of the world. This is our responsibility, and we are failing terribly because we want to hold on to what we think is ours when we don't own anything. Well, you pastor that church. Emphasis on that. Y'all ever heard that? Oh, he pastors that church. You know, we prayed for churches for, for the last several months. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, I'm going to tell you a secret. A couple of those churches, I've met their pastors. I don't particularly like them. We just don't have the same personality. But you know what? They're brothers in Christ. So we pray for them, and we love them, and we still have conversation. Because we have something in common. And that something in common outweighs everything we don't have in common. The church has to be unified. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? But what about them Pentecostals? Especially them Pentecostals. Man, them Pentecostals need Jesus. <laughs> I just like All of them, every one of us, we have been convinced and separated by tribes. Vaxxed versus unvaxxed. There are people in our country right now that literally hate people because they've been vaccinated. There are literally people in our nation right now who hate people because they haven't been vaccinated. There's a church in our community, and I won't name it, who turns people away from church if they wear a mask to church. Did you hear what I said? You're going to take a political position and deny people the gospel message because it makes you feel good or big? That's disunifying. We need to come to a place where we realize Jesus is bigger than our political position, our denomination, all of these things. We have to be unified. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. You know why I don't talk politics from the stage? Or from the platform? Because there might be one Democrat in here. Or there might be one Republican in here. And if I say something pro-Democrat, I'm going to lose that the ability to speak the gospel to that one Democrat. If there's one Republican in here, I'm going to lose response, the ability to speak to that Republican. My job is to declare Jesus not declare an affiliation with anything but Jesus but you know what that's not just my job that's your job y'all sitting around your workplaces man can you believe them liberals did such and such man they must have lost their mind well them Republicans are even worse no y'all know what Trump did Trump has no consequence in regard to my eternal destination Biden bears no consequence to my eternal destination. And yet we let those things divide the church. I say out of many, one. You know, some of y'all are, oh, man, he's, he's kind of getting on my nerve a little bit. That's the plan. I want to get on your nerve a little bit today 
because Jesus doesn't care about those things. Jesus cares about people. Jesus came here, crawled upon a cross, and died because he loved people. If that had to happen right now, he would die for the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. He would die for the Republican and the Democrat. He would die for the wealthy and the poor, the drunkard and the sober, the whoremonger and the mother. He would die for them all. If he would die for them, can we at least not love them? Can we not be unified with them enough to tell them the truth? I feel like I'm, I, I maybe over-talk this, but this is one of the few things that I, well, it's not one of the few things, I'm very passionate about this. You guys know that one of the things I believe I was called to this city to do was to create a unified church in this community. We have to, that's only possible when we realize that the color of your skin, your denomination, your affiliations don't matter. Jesus matters. He died to make us family. Some of y'all weird cousins, but you still family. This is not who we have been called to be. Question is, who have we called been called to be? Philippians two two says this of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This means they have the same mind. Who have we been called to be? We've been called to have the same mind. Doesn't mean we have to agree on all things. The Lutheran church and our church, the bridge church, journey church and our church, there's some secondary things we don't agree on. I, I guarantee they're not speaking in tongues over to journey church. Those are secondary things. But if you would look at me and tell me that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, if you'll tell me that you believe he's coming back for us, that there's a Trinitarian God, if we can believe in the basics, then we can be in fellowship. We can have one mind. We can have the same spiritual attitude. The same love. We must have the same love. That doesn't mean love everybody the same. Because I'll be honest with you, there's some people get on my nerves. But it's not talking about a, an emotional love. It's talking about an agape love. A love that isn't determined by emotion, but by will. A love that wakes up in the morning and says, I am going to love my enemy today. How much could we get accomplished if the person that we dislike the most, we decided to love instead of talk about? Oh, what? Same love. Same spirit. This literally means one-souled in the Greek. One, S-O-U-L-E-D. Have a common commitment to the same spiritual goal. I'm going to talk about what those spiritual goals should look like in a minute. But I tell you, they exclude hatred. It excludes envy, jealousy, and selfishness. 
you can't love someone like Jesus loves them and hate them, envy them, be jealous of them, it's impossible. I'll tell you if you are, have unforgiveness towards them. Because I'll tell you if you do, you don't love Jesus the way he loves you. But you don't know what he did to me. I guarantee he didn't drag you down the street, nail you to a cross, and stripe your back, beat you bloody. But there Jesus sat. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. That's one soul. That's to have a passionate, common commitment to a single spiritual goal. Jesus Christ's spiritual goal was to glorify the Father. Ooh, that's good preaching right there. Intent on one purpose is the last piece of that verse. Because they have the same mind, same love, and are unified in spirit, they have to have the same purpose. You know what the same, you know what the purpose is that we should be committing to? The purpose we should be driving towards? Advancing the kingdom of God. People say, why did Jesus come here? And then you, if you go down, I challenge you, go to your workplace, go down the street, sit on a sidewalk and say, why do you think Jesus came here? You're going to hear all kinds of crazy stuff. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, when he came out of the desert, what was the first thing he said? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why he came here, so that we could repent through the work that he committed and so that the kingdom of God might grow. Cling to Jesus, not our tribes. Cling to Jesus, not our personal preferences. Cling to Jesus. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he concludes by praying for the church that we be unified in him. Christ Jesus, not our tribes. I don't know if you guys get this yet or not, but I don't want you to be associated. I don't want you to consider yourself associated above Jesus with anything other than Jesus. Because if you give more weight to your tribe than you do Jesus, you have an idol in your life. And thou shalt have no other God before me. That's one of the big ten. You know, there's people that ain't church today because their football team starts playing before noon. They don't even have tickets. They're just going to watch it on TV. Go to any football game. I, I challenge you if you get a chance. I don't like football because it's gotten weird. Next, next time you see a football game on TV, mute it. And then watch the crowd. And imagine for a moment if you can, worship music playing. Because those people look like they're worshiping. And in fact, they are. They give everything they have, travel wherever they need to go, to worship something other than, get, than that which gave them life. We have to cling to Jesus, not our tribes. Jesus concludes chapter 17 with a prayer of unification. 
I'm going to teach today. I haven't even started teaching yet. I've just talked too much. My goodness, I've talked too much. <laughs> 20 through 23. I do, not, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I am in them, and you in me, and they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you, even as you have loved me. So I want to make three points. And I knew the intro was long. The intro is longer than most this week because I needed you to understand unity above all else. Unity in Christ Jesus above all else. Nothing matters except for Jesus eternally. Is everybody okay with that? Because some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I am here to tell you, if you can't cling to Jesus over your personal preferences... You need to ask yourself, have I truly given my life to the Lord? I can't make that call. The Bible tells me that's the one judgment call I can't make, the condition of your soul. But I'll tell you, if you look at your life and you're given preference, the very fruit that you bear indicts you. First point, unity starts in faith. 20 through 21 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, and that they may all be one. He wasn't praying. Christ wasn't praying for those who just believed in him 2,000 years ago. He says this. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. That's these, these disciples, these people that are standing right in front of me, the ones he's just praying for in the couple verses before. He said, I'm not just talking about the people God, I don't want unity just in the people that I've, I've got with me right now. He says, but for those who believe in me through their word. Their word. It didn't say the word. It said their word. Did you all catch it? These little words are important in the scripture. He said, I'm praying for unity for my disciples. But God, I need unity for everybody that hears them speak. who ultimately believe what they're told so that they may come to me. That's what he's saying here. And they can't do that if they don't have faith. Galatians 3, 26-28 says, For you are sons of God through faith in Christ. How do you come to Jesus? Through faith in Christ, by the grace that he has given us. For all of you have been baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither I have, neither I, there I neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. How does unity start? Unity starts in Christ Jesus. It says baptized in Christ. When it says baptized in Christ, when it's talking about in Christ, it's not talking about this. This is a public display of our being in Christ. 
This is a baptistry, and we should all be baptized according to the Word of God. But when the Bible says you've been baptized in Christ, that means that you've been fully immersed in Christ when you give your life to the Lord because He extended you grace, and you declared it by faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then you believe that God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved, and you are in Christ, completely covered by His righteousness. You can't be unified if you don't have Jesus. It has to start in faith. I feel like I'm clapping really loud. (laughs) Everyone who has declared Him as Lord by faith is in Christ. But it has to start there. It has to start there because these are the only true people we can be unified with. Did you hear what I said? That's hurtful. I told you the truth is, I told you several weeks ago, or maybe last week, I don't remember. The truth is exclusive. It excludes some folks until they accept it. And then it includes folks. But the Bible says we can only be unified with like-minded people, with people that have that are in Christ Jesus. For what association does darkness have with light? I'm not going to sit down and have a deep theological conversation about secondary things with someone that doesn't even know Jesus. You know what I'm going to tell them? I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Because it's the gospel message that's the power unto salvation, not our articulations or our deep theories or ideologies. It's the gospel message that we were all sinners, damned to hell, but God showed up. And proved his love for us. That while we were still sinners, he died. Christ died for us. Amen? And once we're unified, unity starts in faith. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? I'm not talking to the congregation. I'm talking to each of you. Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you been completely immersed in the Spirit of God? Have you been clothed in righteousness? If you haven't, unity starts there. In our unity, which starts in faith, is proven in relationship. 21b through 22 says this, Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Unity is proven in relationship. Last, time we, last week I told you we talked about clinging to Jesus over our comfort. This is our primary responsibility. This is how people become unified in Christ when we separate ourselves from the world allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and declare the truth to them no unity unless truth has been declared and accepted do you want a unified world I hear people all the time man I wish this world wasn't so tough what are you doing to fix it Who are you talking to to fix it? Who are you talking about to make it worse? 
I can't stand the worst thing in the world to me. And about the quickest way to get called out is to call me and say, hey, Pastor Jim, I need you to pray for so-and-so. Okay. Well, let me tell you, I, I haven't told you what she did yet. Don't call me with your crazy gossip. Expect me to pray over your gossip. Just tell me so-and-so needs prayer. That's disunifying. Love one another. Consider one another. Lift one another up. Encourage one another. You can't do that if you're chasing each other around a room, biting at each other's ankles all the time. You've got to start paying attention. Is your elevation, because you feel superior, worth your eternity? That's not in the notes, but that's good. We can't grow the kingdom if we don't act kingdom-minded. And so unity happens in relationship. Jesus uses Trinitarian relationship. He talks about the unity between him and the Father to define what our unity should look like. And he, We must be unified by our motive. I'll give you three things we need to be unified in. We must be unified in our motive. Anybody know what the motive of the Christian should always be? Glorify God. Your whole responsibility on earth is to glorify God once you give your life to Jesus Christ. Everything that you do should glorify God, which means make Him bigger to the people that are around you. Make Him bigger in your own life. You can't actually make God bigger. You know what I'm saying. You can make people, you can make God bigger to the people who don't know Him. This is proven throughout Scripture that God's motive is to glorify Himself. Psalm 19, 1 through 4, I'm not going to read that text, but it says, He created the world to declare His glory. In Isaiah 43, 7, He declares He created man for His glory. So everything in this world he created so that he could be glorified. He created us so that through us he might be glorified. He created all things for himself so that he might be glorified. This is the truth of the word of God. And he doesn't share his glory with anyone. When you try to tribalize, you're trying to take God's glory and give it to somebody else. The Bible says in Isaiah 42, 8, and I know I'm throwing these verses at you fast. 42.8, I am the Lord, this is my name. Did y'all catch that? He wanted to make sure you knew who he, was ta- who he was talking about. I am the Lord, you have no say here. Your opinion doesn't matter. I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not give my glory to another. And he shouldn't have to. Even Jesus glorified the Father. John 17, 4 says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And if he doesn't share his glory, we shouldn't try to receive his glory either. Most of us, I'm not going to say most of us, I don't know. Many of us. And we exist to make our own name bigger. That's not the attitude of Christ at all. The attitude of Christ is to make 
or was to make himself less so that we could be more. I know that's opposite of what John the Baptist said of us, of Jesus. In 3.30, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. Can I tell you, as I've told you a hundred times before, that's the attitude that Jesus had towards us. He looked down from heaven and said, I must decrease so that they can increase. I must make myself less so that they can be better than they could possibly ever be unless I was willing to make myself less. To the glory of God. We must be unified in our mission, which is to make God known. We have to, glory, we have to carry the gospel message. Man, I get so frustrated. People say, I don't know what to say. Tell them what God did for you. It's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome. The word of the testimony. The word of the testimony. You know when I got saved? I got saved under my pastor's testimony. He was given his testimony. And there was a guy inside of his testimony. It wasn't even his story. It was a guy inside of his testimony that he was talking about. And I thought, man, that dude happened to be the police. It was a guy that was a, uh, his jury foreman, was a police officer, had retired. And I thought, and the guy ended up, there's, anyway, he helped, he ended up, making sure that he didn't get the death penalty because he believed that Pastor truly had been saved. And I thought for a second, or the Spirit of God really just pulled my heart out, smashed it into a thousand pieces, put it back together and put it in my chest in what seemed like a microsecond. And I thought, if he can do that for that guy, he can do that for me. And he has. And I'm not bragging. I'm not except to brag on God. My life changed that day. People that know me now versus knowing me then will tell you. They still say it. I did an in-service yesterday for the sheriff's office and some guy's office. You preaching, man? And oh, yeah, guy's awesome. He goes, he must be. <laughs> but we have to have the same mission which is declare the gospel I'm going to read this to you just to show you how simple it is we were sinners according to Romans 3.23 deserving and destined for hell according to John 3.18 but God sent his only begotten son in John 3.16 to appease God's wrath Romans 3.14-25 and destroy the enmity between us and God according to Ephesians 2.16. This relationship between man and God is reconciled as we declare Christ's lordship, according to Romans 10.9. And it's that easy. I was, but God, I am. This truth must never be compromised. Because if you compromise the truth because you think that you're trying to help somebody out or you don't want to make somebody feel bad, you might as well just keep your mouth shut. It's never my intent to make somebody feel bad, but if the Holy Spirit deals with them, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Convicts you of your sin so that you might be righteous. Don't stand in the way of that because you're afraid to hurt somebody's feelings, because you want to be cast out of whatever tribe that you're in, 
There's only one tribe you need to be concerned with anyway. Amen? And finally, we must be unified in love. There is no doubt the Father loved His Son. He said so three, diff three different times in the New Testament. Twice He said, This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. John 17, 24, Jesus said to the Father, You have loved Me before the foundation of the world. Love should be our motivation. As love unifies the Trinity, it should also unify the church. God, did you hear what I said? Love's got to unify us. We've got to stop talking crazy about each other. We've got to stop carrying a fence around. Well, so-and-so did such-and-such such to me. You don't even know what he did. I don't even care what he did because I guarantee whatever he did isn't as bad as whatever they did to Jesus. And if Jesus can set it down and love them, you ought to be able to. People are all, I can't forgive. God's just going to have to deal with it. Well, God's going to deal with it, but not in a way that's going to make you very happy. You don't have a right to not forgive. You can't have unforgiveness in your heart and expect to be forgiven. You have to be people of love. That's hard, that's hard man. I know that's hard. But Jesus never said your life was going to be easy. I want to smack people in the teeth when they come down here to the altar. And they just pour their heart out before God. And then they somebody here praying with them or comes up next to them and says, Oh, your life's going to be so much better now. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Your life is going to be harder now because you have a standard now. Because the enemy's going to come against you now. But we're here for you, and God is here for you, and the Spirit of God is here for you. I forgot where I was at. That wasn't in my notes, but that's good right there. The point is, we have to be able to tell them the truth if we love them. To not tell them the truth proves that we don't love them. Besides that, love's the only way that they'll know who we are. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. This messes me up. What are the two greatest commandments? The second greatest commandment is, Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then here in John 13, Jesus says, I got something better than that. I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. Oh, what? Are you serious? Sacrificially? At the expense of my own time and energy and maybe my own life? Ah, okay. By this, all men... We'll know, that's not a might know, but we'll know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Maybe people ain't coming asking you about Jesus because your love ain't right. Why would I go ask somebody about Jesus who doesn't look like they know Jesus? Or act like they know Jesus or don't love anybody like they should? Whew. All right, I'm going to move on. I done got all fired up now. I think I pulled a muscle in my back. Number three, unity has a purpose. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Unity has a purpose. The unity of the per believer purposes to prove God's love. 
when we love each other well, the world sees it. I've said it over and over and over again. It's, it's part of my personal ministry, of philosophy of ministry. I believe that people come to the church because they're hurting. The vast majority of them. Something tragic has happened in their life. They've been hurt. Divorced. There's been a death in the family. Something that they don't know what to do. And they've heard that in the church there's a rumor of hope. They may not even know what that hope is. And then they come here and they see a unified church that loves one another and is willing to love them. You know what happens in those moments? The love that we have for one another beats back the darkness in their life long enough for them to get a glimpse of the face of Jesus. And then they ask, who is that? And how do I become part of that? The purpose of unity is to grow the kingdom of God. We need to be a unified church. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. Jesus Christ died for it. We, he deserves that we live for it. Amen? That's my challenge for you today. Ask yourself, am I unified? This week, I want you to ask yourself, am I easily offended? Do I carry selfishness? Am I bitter? Do I have unforgiveness? Is my love right? And if it isn't, and I'm not talking about some cursory glance through your life. I mean, I want you to take some time and meditate on those questions. And if it isn't, it's as simple as saying, God, forgive me. By the power of your Holy Spirit, give me the love that I should have so that I may be unified as I am supposed to be unified. Amen?